We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna Hand it off the belt. Goes in sideways. And drives to the end zone. Touchdown, Pittsburgh. First and goal to go for the Steelers. And Bell is in for the touchdown. Finding the end zone for the second time already today. Second and two. Got a two-touchdown game. He's looking for another one here. He's got it without him being touched. Le'Veon Bell. We all get it. We lost the game today. And that's two in a row that, uh, that we had to have. We lost both of them. gather here today on the Rock Pile Report podcast to mourn the passing of the Buffalo Bills 2016 season. A season that in its youth was so full of promise and hope tragically ended too soon, leaving behind empty hearts, wallets, and beer cans in its wake. Let us all take a moment to reflect and observe a moment of silence. Welcome to the Rock Power Report Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Drew Gear. It's my producer, Chris Krueger. And in the intro, you heard Jim Nance from CBS Sports. And that's right. I'm saying it. The 2016 Buffalo Bills season, dead, buried. We're done. 
realist. We are not mathematically eliminated, but for all intents and purposes. Nobody gets in at nine and seven, ever. Nobody gets in at nine and seven, not with the AFC West playing the way they have. And so that makes us 17 years. The drought lives on. 17 years, Chris. I've had three cars. I mean, so so just thinking about this, and I saw it actually got the inspiration from a tweet that Chris sent out earlier in the week. I took a look back over the last 17 years to try to put it and you know, give myself a frame of reference of what seven, what's going on in my life over the last 17 years since the Bills last made the playoffs. Here's what I came up with. I've worked for 12 different employers. I've owned seven different vehicles. I've had six different apartments and or houses. I've blown up to 350 pounds and then lost 125 of it and somehow ended up with a smaller waist size in that time span. I've attended 16 weddings in the time span that's gone on since the Buffalo Bills last made the playoffs. Chris, what about you? What's going on in your life over the last 17 years I've had no playoffs? I've had three vehicles. I've been cheated on twice, married once, divorced once. Oh, Jesus. I made a bet with Jeff Goodhand that I never paid him, (laughs) which was a playoff game, Bills and Titans in 1999, because that was a forward pass. Everyone knows it. Um, I moved here. Uh, Nothing too special (laughs) other than those whores. Just an army of skanks. That's it. That's all you have to show for 17 years. Oh, folks. It's brutal. And there's the Saigon whore who bit my nose off. (laughs) Folks, it's been rough. It it was a rough weekend in the gear household. It was a rough weekend for Chris. We're going to move on with the show here. And as we always do, we're going to get into it with the Buffalo Bills news update. Now, the biggest news story of the week, talk of Tyrod's benching. It ramped up as soon as the game ended on Sunday, fueled mostly by reports by just many local media outlets, such as the Buffalo News, WGR 550. Now, after Sunday's loss, you know, you listen to the, you know, all these reports kept coming out that he could be benched, that he, he could be sat, they could go in another direction at quarterback. And after the loss on Sunday, Tyrod channeled a little bit of Bill Belichick when when he was facing requ- questions from the reporters at the, at his post game ki- press conference. Uh, Tyrod Rex uh, was down here. He would not commit to you as the starter for the for the remaining three weeks of the season. Do you know anything about the team's plans for that? Nope. That's his decision. You feel you've done enough to remain the starter. It's a coach's decision. The re- it's the coach's decision. Today, the first uh, left some plays out there. I uh, definitely didn't play my best. Um, let the team down in a couple plays, but kind of moved forward. Was able to put some points up in the fourth quarter, but just too late. Now that audio comes to you from BuffaloBills.com. I've got to say that that might be the first time, and I know some people have been arguing with me back and forth online about this. That's the first time I've heard Tyrod come out and finally just take take accountability for what was a a shit performance in the first half by him. I mean, it was atrocious and it's refreshing, I guess. I mean, you can call it too little too late. You can call it, Hey, it's, it's nice that he's finally just saying what everyone else has been thinking 
for the last five or six weeks now. You know, but ultimately, for as tough as I'd like to be on the guy, and, and for as many times as I've beaten him up here on our podcast, this loss falls on more shoulders than just his. I mean, we all know that, but that is the cost of being an NFL quarterback. You know, and then on Tuesday, Rex did the predictable thing, backing Tyrod Taylor as our quarterback going forward. But I've got to say, there's a matter of practicality here that has to be taken into consideration when it comes to him starting for our football team. The the verbiage in Tyrod Taylor's contract, okay, according to his extension, even though the team has an option to either cut him and take a $3 million cap hit, or they can enact a multi-year extension for him. The contract is fully guaranteed for injury. That means that if over the course of the next week or two or three, if Tyrod sustains an injury that carries over into the 2017 season, if he has to be put on IR for any long-term injury, the Bills have no choice but to pay him. We have no choice but to honor the terms of the contract and pay him that money. That, in theory, would mean that even if the team wanted to move on from him at the start of the offseason— If something happens to him between now and week 17, we don't have that flexibility. That, more so than anything he's done on the football field, I mean, that just, I'm sorry, I just can't justify putting him in that position and putting the team in that position. I mean, that may be one of the reasons why you hear all this talk about him possibly being benched, but I just don't think we can afford to risk that. I mean, Chris, what do you think? I've never liked Tyrod Taylor. I've made it known all summer, all season long. We're on the playoffs. What's wrong with starting EJ? What's wrong with starting Cardale? I, I mean, well, there's a lot wrong with that. First off, EJ Manuel sucks. Okay. And second off, Cardale Jones, I still don't, th- I, I, th- I still have the feeling that the fact that he hasn't, been considered at this point means that he's probably still too raw to put in there. The one thing I will say, okay, the one thing I will say about all of this is that for as many people who want to see Tyrod Taylor gone, he's still very much in this. I mean, that's indicate that's indicated by their decision to continue playing him. Because if you're not comfortable with Tyrod Taylor as your starting quarterback, then there's no way in hell that you put him out there. Right. If you know that you could risk him by default being your long term answer at quarterback, whether you want him there or not, you wouldn't risk that by playing him in these football games, regardless of who you think gives you the best chance to win three games that ultimately won't matter. I don't know. This is a situation that's really going to have to be looked at. And I mean, a lot of it starts with how he does this Sunday. I mean, I think that's a lot of how this is going to be judged. And I think even bigger than that's the Miami game. If he can pull out three wins in three games and show that he maybe has a shot at redeeming himself, maybe we revisit this conversation. But right now, from what I'm seeing, they're going to play him, even though I think it's a terrible idea. And if, God forbid, something happens to him on Sunday, whether the front office wants it or not, he's going to be our guy. I mean, you want to talk about contract situations, let's move on to the next story. Before kickoff on Sunday... Stories started circulating that Rex Ryan could be fired as early as Monday morning. Okay, now that's before the ball ever got kicked off. I think it was first reported by Jason Lockenfora. Well, and that's the thing. 
I mean, it did, ultimately didn't materialize. But when you look at the number of reputable outlets that were reporting it, it's hard to believe that there isn't something fueling those rumors. Someone somewhere is talking to someone. Yeah. It didn't come from that website that said that uh, we were going to trade Tyrod to Denver at the beginning of the season. (laughs) No. No, it definitely. But it's not rocket science. Coaches who underachieve and underperform don't last in the NFL. I mean, just last week, we were bagging all over the Rams for their decision to extend Jeff Fisher. And this week, after probably the most miserable loss of the week, they fired him. <laughs> I mean, it. I mean that, that game, for anyone who didn't get to see it, you didn't miss anything. It was one of the most lopsided football games I've ever seen. I mean, our loss was bad on Sunday, but that loss was worse, if that's even possible. Yeah, and it started right from opening kickoff. Here's here's a point I want to make. Okay, and I've been waiting. I've been waiting a couple days to put this out there because I want to. I, Chris, I want to talk to you about this. Since we're both here, we're in person, we're in the same room. You're looking at what I'm looking at. The reality is that in the NFL, the best coaches, even the best coaches, are only as good as their quarterback. I mean, outside of Bill Belichick, he's probably the only one who's been able to survive without his all-star quarterback. But even then. His success, his real success, has been tied to the existence of Tom Brady. So let's take a look. Here's a list of coaches that don't exactly, I I want you to hear these names, and then I want you to pay attention to their 2015 record. Wait, wait, one second. Mm -hmm. I already see that you have a mistake here. Oh, boy. Gus Bradley is attached to Blake Bortles. Oh, yeah, no, no. Gus Bradley was Blake Bortles' um. Who was the, who's the coach from Atlanta? Oh my god, he's new. I can't think of his name. Oh, the dude from Seattle. Yeah, he was the defensive coordinator from Seattle. Um, you're right, not Gus Bradley. Uh, Dan Quinn. So, Jesus. so I it, the list starts. Dirk Cotter. Okay, he's a second year coach in Tampa Bay. He's got Jameis Winston at quarterback. His 2015 record was six and ten. Now we're talking about uh, Bradley. From Atlanta, he's got Matt Ryan. His 2015 record was 8-8. Eight and eight. Jim Caldwell, he's got Matt Stafford. 2015 record was 7-9. and nine. Jack Del Rio, his 2015 record was 6-10, and 10, but he's got Derek Carr. Because he's elite. <laughs> Derek Carr is not elite. Even Jason Garrett, he went 4-12 and 12 last year in 2015, and he's got Dak Prescott at quarterback. All of these coaches I just named... They're not revered for being fantastic coaches throughout the NFL, but all of their teams right now are either leading or at, at least at a minimum in the running for their division lead. When last year they weren't very good. You know what makes them different from all, you know, all 17 <laughs> last Bills teams that we've seen year over year over year? They had a quarterback. Quarterback has a down season. Your offensive line struggles. Your running backs all get hurt. You, you lose every one of your wide receivers. None of it matters, and you can rebound the very next year. All you have to have is a quarterback. Okay, they're all getting on improved production from the quarterback position for one reason or another. You know, Derek Carr. It's probably the fact that he's got an offensive line that isn't getting him killed on a weekly basis anymore, and now he's showing that he can be an adequate quarterback. As opposed to Andrew Luck, who's getting murdered who's by getting, his offensive line. Absolutely. And even then, they're still, you know, and, and you see that. So, and I understand it's not, a, 
it's kind of tough to call that a blanket statement, but if you look at it, good coaching can do a lot of good things for your football team. They can. Great coaching can take a good football team and make it elite. But even a mediocre coach can succeed in the NFL as long as he has a blue chip quarterback who can perform at a consistently high level. Because if you don't have one, then every season you're just crossing your fingers and hoping and just hoping that the rest of your team can mask the deficiencies of what is essentially the most important position on the field at all times. I think that it's paramount for the longevity of both Rex Ryan and Doug Whaley that they go out there. I don't care what it takes. I, I don't want to talk about salary cap. I don't want to talk about draft stock, You know the cost, the price. Go out there and get a quarterback. Find it. You got to find an answer. You want to know why none of your predecessors are still here? Because they couldn't find an answer at the quarterback position. If you think Tyrod's the guy, then you hit your wagons to him. And if you end up going off the cliff with him, then so be it. But you have to find a quarterback. Or else you, like your predecessors, you may not be here much longer. There was a report today from the BF Insiders on Instagram. Bill's Fanatics. Mm Mm-hmm. And they stated that Doug Whaley was not a part of hiring either Doug Marone or Rex Ryan. Like, Rex Ryan was a total Terry and Kim move. And Doug had nothing to do with it. Why is he even here if he can't handpick his head coach? I don't know. But again, those, these are all questions that are going to answer themselves over the course of the next couple of weeks. Yeah, on Black Monday. <laughs> can't wait for that show. Jesus. And then... Last bit of news here. The Bills injury parade continues as the recently signed James Ahedabo was placed on season-ending IR today. We are on pace to finish the season in the top three for total games lost to because of players put on the IR. I mean, Jesus Christ. If there's any reason not to fire your coach, it's probably that. To me, that Look at the injury parade that has just stormed through Buffalo this season. To me, that kind of says a lot about our depth that Doug Whaley's got. Being that we were still somewhat in the hunt in December, mm-hmm. relying on people who aren't supposed to play a majority of the snaps. Well, and that's the thing. You can argue that point all day long. Who needs to go? Who doesn't need to go? The fact is, is it's all going to play out. It's all going to play out whether we like it or not. It's going to take weeks. And when it's all said and done, you and I have you, I, the listeners. You, nobody really has any say in it. All we can do is sit back and hope that whatever happens is in the best interest of the football team. And that brings us to our week 14 recap. Now, I'll be honest. I didn't rewatch this game. For the first time all season, I did not sit down and rewatch the all 22 footage of this game because I literally couldn't bring myself to do it. We're going to start off like we always do stats of the game. Bill's total offense, 275 yards. Le'Veon Bell, 298 total yards. 236 rushing and 62 receiving. Bill's first half total yardage, negative one yard. Ben Roethlisberger, 17-31, 220 yards, no touchdowns, and three interceptions. Tyrod Taylor, 15-25, 228 yards, two touchdowns, one pick, five sacks. LaShawn McCoy, seven targets, six catches, 81 yards with a long of 41. I'm most irritated that we weren't able to handle all of those interceptions we got from Roethlisberger. 
Because mm. even at the end of the first half, we have negative one yards, and it's a seven-point game. No, that's, no, no, no. You're you're absolutely correct. That that is one of the biggest reasons. I'm just I was infuriated. I was infuriated. Our defense. Uh, here's what I'll say. I think this whole thing starts off game plan failure and just issues on defense. Okay. From everything I can see, our defense came into this game with a game plan that was predicated on stopping Ben Roethlisberger from throwing the football. And I think we did a great job of that. I mean, you just mentioned how many turnovers. We had three, you had three picks. I know the one on like their opening drive was picked off by Alexander in the red zone. Yep. And there's where you have to sustain a drive offensively. Mm-hmm. You get the crowd on your side. You get the momentum with a touch, touchdown drive right there at the start of the game. But this is what, man, this is what... And this is what I go back to coaching and game plan on top of the defense. Just everything fell apart for us on Sunday. I mean, we made the game. We drafted up a game plan that was supposed to shut down their passing attack. And we did it. We pulled it off. But the Steelers offensive coordinators anticipated this. And they came out after after that first pick. They committed to just a lot of heavy packages. You know, they came out with extra offensive linemen as tight end. They focused on the running game once they realized what our game plan was, and we never tried to counter. I mean, we were trying to drop players into coverage more often than protecting the box, even when they would come out in heavy sets, in an attempt to try to limit that passing attack, and they just ran the ball down our throats. It was incredible. I haven't seen this. The NFL hasn't seen a team get abused like that. I mean, before the game, we were talking about it. Le'Veon Bell set some kind of, he set some kind of league record. He's the first, I think he's the, what is it, the first player to ever eclipse another team's offensive production by himself? Probably, that sounds about right. I mean, that's that, that's disgusting. That should never happen. And, and it all starts up front. Without Kyle Williams playing in this football game, the Steelers' offensive line was able to double-team Darius on almost every single one of these running plays. And all of our defensive ends, no one could get penetration. So... They were getting extra blockers to the second level routinely. And Le'Veon Bell showed a ton of patience, just kind of slipping in, taking his time, weaving his way through our defense, and then exploding through the holes that were available. I mean, we just could not set an edge on the defensive line to save our lives. It was it was ridiculous. And then here's, here's a stat that makes me want to throw up in my mouth. With a, our defense allowed Le'Veon Bell to average 2.6 yards per carry before contact and then an extra 3.3 yards after contact. I mean, that's some bullshit. That's some bullshit right there. It's inexcusable. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? And then you want to talk about inexcusable. How about this? Jerry Hughes got pulled early in the game after it became apparent that he was a total liability against the run. Cover1.net has some great breakdowns of this exact thing. Just kind of showing that on multiple occasions, Jerry Hughes just could not maintain his assignment. You know, you're talking about you're playing playing on the edge of this 3-4 kind of base look. They snap the ball and he doubles over the the guy next to him to try to rush inside. And they just hand the ball off to Le'Veon Bell, and there's two offensive linemen running through the space that he just vacated. And now both of those linemen grab our linebackers, and Le'Veon Bell tears off a 15-yard run. That's why Jerry Hughes had to sit. I mean, he was benched for all but 40%. He only played 40% of our snaps overall. 
mean, you're talking about Jerry Hughes. You brought him in here to be a pass rusher, and they knew it, and they took advantage of that, knowing that, I don't know if they just sensed he was frustrated. Maybe they just knew that they could take advantage of the fact that he doesn't always maintain his assignment. I don't know what it was, but it got him yanked off the field in favor of Shaq Lawson because I think that they trusted Shaq Lawson to try to set that edge and maintain the game plan instead of kind of freelancing and doing whatever the hell he wanted to. Ugh. And then you want to, and then the last point I want to make, linebackers. They were not gap sound, okay? When it came to the rushing game. They just took ba- all afternoon taking bad angles of the ball, making sloppy tackle attempts. Our linebackers and cornerbacks missed eight total tackles. Zach Brown. Zach Brown, we've been I mean Bills fans have been just impressed with Zach Brown's play all season. He is by himself accountable for three of our eight missed tackles. He's been one of the most consistent players we have. And even then, he couldn't come through for us with a play. I mean, as a team, on defense, almost no one showed up to play on Sunday. And that's embarrassing. And that's what it is. We got embarrassed. Yeah, it was. And, you know, we called up Albright from the practice squad. You know what? Speaking of uh, linebacker play, as I wanted to make sure I remember to talk about this. There were, I mean, you didn't watch all 22, but there were two times where I think it was Albright and Lawson showed up on the line from the sideline right before the snap. Oh, there were miscommunication was rampant during that game. Multiple times you see guys running on the field, running off the field. No one seems to know what the hell is going on. We had that problem last season. That comes down to coaching. And I'm sorry, I don't care, Rex. You can talk. You can you, you can take all this stuff about however you know our communication's better, and my brother's going to help this and help that. Blow it out your ass, okay, Rex? I, I've I've had enough of the coach speak. I've had enough of the bravado. I want to see it. I want to see you go out there and be a competent coach and win a football game that you need to win. Okay, he touched on it in the intro. Two weeks in a row, we came into must-win football games and just collapsed when we needed to really bear down and stay focused. And that falls on the coaching staff. I mean, so moving on, you want to talk about the offense. McCoy struggled and yet was still the best player on our offense. For the first time all season, he was held completely in check in the running game. Still managed to be the most effective offensive weapon on our team. I mean, we touched on it. His stat line in the passing game. Watkins only got six targets and four catches for 54 yards and a touchdown. Clay, six targets, three catches, 52 yards and a touchdown. Yet McCoy out-targeted, out-caught, and out-gained them in yardage in the passing game. So he's our number one running back. He's our our number one wide receiver. What You know what that tells me is that he's checking it down all of the time. That's not good. Goes back to your see it and throw it. I mean, I, I mean, we talked before we started recording about Charles Clay and and it's you know it's not Doug Whaley. I don't put that on Doug Whaley's fault. Okay, Doug Whaley. Wait, got wait, you. wait. When you say you don't put it on his fault, are you talking about the the fact that we signed Clay to that money? Correct, because we don't use him. I I think if we had an offense where he was utilized more, because even. Even being a heavy a heavy run game, you know he can be used 
And that was the whole point of getting having Tyrod or EJ as your quarterback. All right, look, we got Watkins, we got Woods, we got Clay, we got McCoy. We have all these weapons around for our quarterback, yet we don't utilize Chuck Clay. No. Like that <laughs> touchdown was awesome that he caught. No, but that he went up, got the ball. That touchdown is what we've been waiting to see for a year and a half. Yeah, okay, we'll throw him more balls like that. We don't. That we don't we, utilize them. We don't utilize slants. We don't utilize inside. But that all speaks to the limitations of our quarterback. You're talking about like Sunday night football slants? Oh, my God. I was disgusted. <laughs> watching watching Odell Beckham just take a slant, a perfectly executed slant, split the defense and run away for a touchdown. Why can't anyone, anyone on the Buffalo Bills team right now figure out how the fuck to throw a slant? It's a slant. It's routine bullshit. And, I, and we can't do it. Even with Sammy Watkins. Catch a man in stride on a slant and send him up. Send him on a slant to the post. Oh, no, we can't do that. No, that's the hardest then, play to defend. Then he's not an NFL quarterback, and I don't want to, I don't want to hear any more about it. I, I mean, you want to talk about how, Taylor, how Tyrod Taylor's Sunday went, okay? Stop me if you've heard this one before. Tyrod Taylor was a mix of good and bad, good decisions and bad ones, and it ultimately impacted the outcome of a one-score game. How many games do we lose that come down to one score when we have a quarterback who's atrocious for most of the game? That happens all the time. I mean, you want to talk about... Here's the thing that blows my mind about Tyrod Taylor, and I guarantee you this is the only reason he's still here. He posted a stat line of 145.8. That was his QBR against the Blitz. When they sent blitzers at him and pressured him, he found ways to get completions and beat their defense. But then at the same time, he five sacks, mostly when the opponent rushed four or fewer players. I mean, that right there, it showcases his inability to make quick decisions from the pocket. It, it's like, oh, if I send pressure at you, you're going to find a way to beat it because you'll just see the open man and throw it there. But if I don't show you an open man right away, you you don't make a decision. And so then you run around. I mean, the, I, I think the thing that pissed me off the most was watching out of all of these sacks, a lot of them were just him scrambling around in the backfield looking for an outlet. But the I would say the biggest kick in the balls to me over uh, about all of this is the fact that he doesn't. After being in the league for, what, six years now? This is his sixth NFL season, second as a starter. Four behind Joe Flacco, Super Bowl winning quarterback. He still doesn't know how to throw the friggin' ball away. He still does not understand when when a play can't be made and to just throw the ball out of bounds instead of taking the sack. That's something that they teach you in college, or at least they start teaching you in college. You can't make every single play with your feet. So sometimes you have to understand where the pressure is, when you're when, when a play can be made and when it's not, and sometimes you just take the ball and chuck it out of bounds. Guess what? He On multiple occasions, he cost us yardage because he was scrambling around trying to make a play. I'm sorry, you have to have a mind for the quarterback position. And the plays like that speak to the fact that he may not have it. Well, what about what, what uh, actually made it to radio uh, props to Eric Turner for getting mentioned on WGR because Jeremy White read that tweet that they're running route concepts that top high school and colleges run. That was like his whole whole tweet. Like the, the our offense is is tailored to what Taylor knows, which is 
the playbook of a top high school well, or college. And that was the biggest thing when uh, early on in the season, you know, we all kind of made fun of Greg Roman for overcomplicating things. But what, now looking back at it, was he overcomplicating things or was he just asking Tyrod Taylor to do the stuff that a normal NFL quarterback should be able to do? I, I mean, you, 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 we'll never know the answer to that question. But the fact is, is that this is not a, this offense isn't going to trick anybody. And at the same time, teams that have beaten us, the Ravens, the Jets, the Steelers, Dolphins, the Raiders, the Dolphins, they all figured out what they had to do. What they had to do was make Tyrod Taylor be a quarterback. Don't let him use his legs. Pin in our running attack and keep Tyrod Taylor in the pocket. Because when you rush him with base defense and put extra D-backs on the field, he falls apart. And that, that, that's just the long and short of it. You can argue for him. You can argue against him. You can tell me everything you want, but I know what I see. And what I see is a guy who can't find a way to make plays and loses a lot of one-score football games. He loses a lot of one-score football games. The fact that we finished that first half with one yard, negative one yard of offense, and we were, and it was a you're not seven, a real you're not a real NFL quarterback. Yeah, and it was a seven-point game, largely due to our defensive game or defensive play because uh, Alexander had an interception, and I believe. Gilmore. Gilmore. Gilmore had the biggest play for the Buffalo Bills of the first half. And that kind of segues right into my next point. Stephon Gilmore, I'm sorry, he's a guy who was kind of for a while there at the beginning of the season especially, was a pinata for us here on the Rockpile Report. He had a solid day. In fact, he's had a couple solid days now. He was primarily lined up against Antonio Brown. We ended up holding him to less than 30 yards receiving, and he lands that big interception in the first half that he takes back 38 yards on the return. Pro Football Focus gave him a ton of love for his performance. and I mean, he did have a missed tackle, and then he got another tackle that just got broken. But he played more like the cornerback that, you know what I mean, everyone expected to see coming into this season. Like the cornerback, I said we should pay at the beginning of the season. Yeah, no, he's and I, not. I will not say this: this the last, shitty quarterback. The last few games, he's shown that he has the potential to be that number one shutdown, or at least number one highly talented. You know, able to be put on an island sometimes, able to be trusted with your with you know some of the most vital parts of your defensive game plan. He's looking. He's playing like that guy. You know, and so I don't know. I just think it's refreshing to see that, to see him stepping up in these games, even even though we're not winning them. You know, he's making plays. He's holding up his end of the bargain now. And it just seems like we just can't ever get everyone on the same page at the same time. And that, as always, <laughs> brings us to the end of our recap here. And we're going to close it up with our hero and zero of the game. And my hero is the only person I had anything positive to say about, and that's Stefan Gilmore. Because they're winners. Winners get to do what they want. Gilmore has quietly been ramping up his play as of late. His performance on Sunday just kind of reaffirms for me that the guy has talent and the ability to play at a level that makes me think he can regain his form from 2015 and be a true number one cornerback, even if that means he's not doing it here in a Buffalo Bills uniform. Guys, i, I got to be honest. Talking about this game is, is hard for me. Sunday night after the game, I, I want to share with you all, you know, just – Please, if you if any of you know at Miss Laris fourteen on Twitter, go ahead and tweet her your you know 
your your sympathies. Sunday, I came home from the game in a foul mood, belligerent, mildly intoxicated, and I just set to drinking. I just sat down and started drinking. I was drinking a concoction I call Uncle Drew's cough syrup, which is uh, it's a secret blend of black velvet, you know, only the classiest over here in my house, black velvet, apple cider, sugar, and cinnamon heated to a specific temperature. The fact is that I sat down and just took to finishing off my batch of that that I had left over from the game and then just started chewing my way through all of these hootie delight beers that Chris was so kind to bring back from Kentucky with him. He brought me these beers, guys, that literally taste like my freshman year of college. It's the cheapest. Now, look, I I was in Florence, Kentucky, 12 miles south of Cincinnati, Ohio. So I went into... Ohio into Cincinnati Wednesday night when I was there to watch the Cincinnati Cyclones Fort Wayne comments dollar beer night. It's either Miller High Life or Hootie Delight. Hootie Delight, and I went with that, and it was good. And so I was like, "Hmm, this has to be Cincinnati's shittiest cheap beer that you can only get here." I'm going to Party Town <laughs> in Florence, Kentucky, and getting two twenty-four packs. So he brings me home a case of this stuff. So I, I I drink this whiskey concoction. I end up just chewing my way through these beers while I'm watching TV. And my girlfriend comes downstairs because she's a sweetheart. She asks, she says, hey, your jacket smells like smoke, campfire smoke from the tailgate. Do you want me to wash it? And I said, yeah, sure, wash that. And I'm in a foul mood, so it didn't come out that politely. I was just like, yeah, sure, yeah, wash the friggin' jacket. And she's like, oh, well, is there anything else you want me to wash? And I said, you know what? Every, everything I'm wearing smells like smoke. So I proceeded to strip naked. And for the next four and a half hours, I'd say, I was just nude wearing sandals walking around my house, just pounding whiskey and drinking beers and bitching about football. That's your fault. If any, but I want the, I hope that the Buffalo Bills know that that's their fault. God bless my girlfriend. She's a saint, but, <laughs> but that is their fault. And then the zero, well, that goes straight to the coaching staff. You blew it! Head coach, defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator. I'm sorry. Weak After week, when you come into must-win football games, this team finds a way to either lose its composure or come out flat. I'm sick and tired of it. You have a a game plan that's effective right up until your opponent makes, makes some adjustments because that's what coaches do, is they make adjustments based on what they see going on in the field. And it just seems like in these critical games, we're never on top of that. We, we can never counter whatever the other team throws at us on the fly. You know, we go into halftime and the other team makes a decision. Hey, we're going to pound the Buffalo Bills with the running game in the second half. We're not going to expose Ben Roethlisberger to any more interceptions. We're going to run the football down their throats. And we come out trying to rush three and put extra defenders in pass, pass protection. Good luck with that. It's, it's just it never fails. And this week was probably the most egregious example of it that I can find all season. I mean, we came out, we were flat from the onset of the football game. And the only time we were in it was when it didn't matter. You know, the, the, the scoreboard makes it look a lot closer than the game actually was. And at no point were we, quote unquote, in this football game until the very end. And even then, when we were trying to climb back into it, there was zero urgency. 
You know, there's there's two minutes left. You've got the ball, and you're marching down the field trying to score points. Do we do we try to run a no huddle? No, no, we don't run a no huddle. I don't even see guys line, running to the line to get over the ball to snap it and call the play. I don't see that. What I see is a lot, uh, like kind of like Chris. We were talking about communication problems between communication issues and just wasted time. This team shoots itself in the foot. All of the time. And I'm sick and tired of seeing it, and that comes directly from the coaching staff. I think our coaching staff, as many staffs as we've had over the last 17 years, none of them have had the bravado to change the culture within the offices of One Bill's Drive. And I think once we can get that and a quarterback – We'll finally get into the playoffs. And I mean, it, it's just not acceptable to me to see the kind of results that we saw on Sunday from a team that just a few years ago was at the top of the league in overall defense. That speaks to not only a failure on the part of the game plan that was crafted up by these coaches, but also on heart and just an inability to rally the players together when things, when the, when things look bleak or when things, don't, when things don't go your way right out of the gate. Turner pointed that out on Twitter a couple times. He just he would post, you know, uh, gifts or video clips of the All Twenty Two and would make a comment on. We just played with no heart yeah, on and that, Sunday, and that falls to the coaching staff. I mean, everyone wants to say, "Oh, well, these guys are professionals, and you have to get." You know, that's your job, and you get paid to do it, so you should do it. Everyone listening here has a boss, or maybe you are the boss. Okay, you work in an environment where somebody's a leader. Why do you think they exist? Okay, if you work in sales, you have a sales manager, right? What is his job? His job is to motivate you. His job is to find a way to get the most out of you that he can. And when those guys do their jobs well, people succeed. Well, I'll tell you about my job because that's why we were in different states last week. My boss doesn't really know a whole lot about machining. And so when he says, hey, I want to get a new CNC machine. And I say, okay, if you're going to get a new CNC machine, we're going to move all of our CNC machines so we can be more productive. I'm not the boss, but he took my input and put it to use because we moved everything in the shop that I work at, so it's more efficient for me to do my job. But ultimately, he's responsible for for, for facilitating your success. He has, to, he has to put you in a position to succeed. And that's my point. I don't care. I get it. These guys are all highly paid athletes, but they're also people. There's emotion that goes into this. Everyone likes to talk about how Rex is a player's coach, and these guys love him, and they love him, and they, they love playing for him, but they won't fight for him. You know? If if those guys, I, I mean, I'll be honest, the performance that we hit on Sunday, if Tyrod Taylor hadn't pulled his head out of his ass in the second half and scored a few touchdowns, we might be having the same conversation that Rams fans were having after the game. Why is our coach allowed to come out here and have a team? You've got a team of highly paid athletes who are just putting up these just weak performances. At some point, someone has to be accountable for that. You know what Sunday reminds me of? What's that? Washington last season. 
Yeah, no, again, another game where you come out flat, and then when the game is pretty much already decided, you start making a push, but you fall short. Yep. And that's the story of two seasons of Buffalo Bills football. And that's why my my anti-game ball of the week goes to our coaching staff. They really have to take a hard look in the mirror and figure out how to get this thing back on track if they expect to be here long term. Let's take a look around the uh, rest of the AFC East. Why don't we? Take a look and see how everyone else did. So the Patriots, they beat the Ravens on Monday Night Football you know, in a game that was a <laughs> the scoreboard. It was a lot closer than it should have been. I mean, Brady threw four touchdowns and over 400 yards, but at the end of the game, the Ravens still had an opportunity to win that game. It's crazy to me. Absolutely crazy. The the Patriots at this point, their schedule's pretty soft, and they're going to cruise to the number one seed in the AFC, which doesn't bode well for us, and it bodes really well for Miami, because if Miami's counting on that Week 17 game, a must-win you know, in New England, if they already have the number one seed locked up, I don't see any reason why they would consider playing any of the starters. Now, any team does any team does that. That's smart. <laughs> and then you're talking about the Jets. Okay, we're going to move on. We're going to talk about the Jets here for a minute because I got a lot to go over here. They overcame a monster deficit on the road against the 49ers to win just their fourth game of the season in overtime. I mean, now that was a game that showcased why Bill Al Powell needs to be more than simply an afterthought. I mean, Chris, all season long, you and I saw the same thing. Matt Forte getting fed the football. Okay? Just fed the football and fed the football and fed the football. Is this kind of what you've been talking about over the last couple weeks with, can we get Gillisley more involved in this offense, please? Yeah, you've got a backup running back who's not seeing any touches, even though he's a very talented running back. And then at the same time, the Jets are doing the same thing. Todd Bowles is making the same mistakes and not giving Bilal Powell any carries. He gets two to three touches a game for the entirety of the 2016 season. It's been a joke. And then, I mean, you're talking about Forte. Forte's best days are behind him. But he's gotten the lion's share of the touches. But he proved it on Sunday. Powell can be a game changer if you just utilize him properly. I don't know why. I don't know what he does behind the scenes that makes the coaching staff not trust him. But it's ludicrous. I mean, underutilizing talent like that is what gets head coaches and offensive coordinators fired. True or false? That is very true because it happens here every three years. Well, so then Bryce Petty, you want to talk about the quarterback. He had a pretty ugly day. He threw for 211 yards, one pick, and he took six sacks. You are one pathetic loser. Rich Samini wrote an article today at ESPN.com citing that review of Bryce Petty's play so far is beginning to show some of the tendencies and trends of his game, which aren't good. I mean, against the 49ers' base defense, with only four defensive backs on the field, his passer rating was 105.6. But if they put five or more defensive backs on the field, whether it was a nickel or a dime package, his rating drops to a 39.6. That's a 70-point drop-off in performance with one or more extra defensive backs on the field. Samini went on to note that while his numbers against pressure were good, that only accounted for when he actually got the pass off. I mean, it only happened four or five times. And he stated that the 49ers did a decent job pressuring him, you know, a lot of the sacks that, that he took, those six sacks, 
Most of them were just because he didn't know how to get rid of the ball. They're just hanging on to it, just chucking it around. And then in a separate article, Rich Samini went on to give some even more damning news. He was talking about the Jets' 2016 draft. And he made note that while the Jets pulled a lot of useful players out of this last draft, you know, they've got Darren Lee, Robbie Anderson, who was a steal as an undrafted free agent, Lachlan Edwards, their punter, Sharoni Peak. You know, these are all guys who have contributed in some way, shape, or form to the Jets' season this year. What I saw a lot on Sunday, because I, I was watching that game on the Red Zone channel, I saw Bryce Petty throwing the ball a little bit too much to Robbie Anderson. Like, that was his only chemistry he had, was with yeah, Anderson. because you're talking about a guy who's been on been playing second and third string all season, playing with second and third string receivers. Robbie Anderson only got a look because Eric Decker went down with an injury. But Robbie Anderson has looked good in filling in for him, considering he was an undrafted free agent. But here's the point that Samini brings up. The pick of Christian Hackenberg might come back to haunt the Jets for a while. It's going to be on McKagan to find a way how to navigate this. I they they put a major investment at the game's most important position and Hackenberg is the definition of a project. Okay. Every report I've read says that his mechanics and his accuracy have been so poor that he that's why he they haven't dressed him for a single game. They would rather trust that in a Willie Beeman type situation from any given Sunday. If you had to go to a third stringer and the only two that you dressed were Ryan Fitzpatrick and Bryce Petty, they trust a wide receiver to come or a running back to come in and play quarterback before they'll commit a, a game day roster spot to Christian Hackenberg. I mean, that tells that should tell you everything you need to know. But given the investment that they made in him and taking him in the second round, I can't imagine that they're going to give up on him anytime soon. So, I mean, it might, even though in reality it shouldn't, preclude them from taking another high pick at quarterback. Now, if you ask any Jets fan out there, I'm sure that they'll tell you that's something that desperately needs to happen. So I guess only time's going to tell what happens with the Jets, but it's definitely a situation worth monitoring as we're kind of in this run-up to the 2017 draft. And then, in what reminds me of the rainstorm from the movie Jumanji, circa 1990, the Dolphins managed to come away with a win over the Arizona Cardinals on Sunday, 26-23, on a day when not a whole lot seemed to go right for Miami. I mean, I'm talking ugly passes. If you go out there, you can find the GIF images of Ryan Tannehill throwing what might go down as one of the ugliest pass attempts in the history of the NFL. There was fumbles, there was interceptions, injuries. I mean, the game had everything. The center, Ryan Pounce, uh, Pouncey, missed the game with a hip injury, and now he's on IR for the rest of the season. And then in a big turn of events, Ryan Tannehill suffered a knee injury. He didn't tear his ACL, the team announced on Monday, but it, God only knows how long the guy's going to be out or how many games he might miss. Now, this is what Max Himmelrich, you know, chief blogger and creator of The Deep End, had to say about Matt Moore stepping in his starter over Tannehill and what his strengths and weaknesses as a quarterback are. Matt Moore... Matt, what I've been saying this week on different shows and things is that Matt Moore's mind is writing a check that his body might not be able to cash. Matt Moore is a gunslinger at heart. He wants to force the ball deep. The problem, he doesn't necessarily have the arm to do it. He, he doesn't lack arm strength. He'd probably fall at a perfect 5 out of 10 on the scale, 
but the, the realistic situation is that he doesn't have the zip to get the ball into space down the field. But what he can do is if you use the run game and short passes to bring the defense down and keep their attention underneath, then you can get one-on-one coverage, in which case Matt Moore can often make the throw. So they're going to do a lot more underneath work, a lot with JHI, Kenyon Drake, out of the backfield catching the ball to further, to further trick the defense into coming underneath. And then maybe every 10 to 15 plays, they'll probably uncork one. And as you saw at the end of last week's game, when um, Matt Moore kind of let that pass loose to Kenny Stills, that ended up being a great completion. Matt Moore doesn't mind really letting it rip and taking risks. And then when we asked him how he thought the Tannehill injury hurts Miami's playoff chances, his answer was somewhat surprising. I think the injury hurts it, but, you know, I don't think anyone believes that Ryan Tannehill is, is a godsend or an incredible quarterback. You know, Ryan Tannehill is a good quarterback that you can win games with. We, uh, the entire NFL hasn't seen Matt Moore play meaningful snaps since two or three years ago when he relieved Ryan Tannehill at the half against the Jets because Tannehill had an injury. So, you know, it really is going to be about evaluation and figuring out what's up with Matt Moore starting this week. I think everyone is watching the Bills right now because of that Week 16 game. The Dolphins, they have to beat the Jets, that's obvious. But when you've got Bills Week 16 and Patriots Week 17 – you really just got to win one of those. Barring Denver pulling off some kind of miracle run where they win all of these difficult games that are scheduled for them, barring that, the Dolphins do just need to win one of those games. So all eyes right now are fixated on the Bills. You know, if the Bills falter even for a second against Cleveland, if it's a remotely close game, then that's an opening. And that's, I mean, for me, looking at the Dolphins' chances, if the Bills don't win by three touchdowns or by, you know, like 17, then that's an opening for the Dolphins. It's, there's chaos in Buffalo right now. Things aren't good. And the Dolphins are going to have to take advantage of that to avoid a must-win situation against the Patriots in Week 17. If they can do that, then the chances are, seem pretty good that they could make it into the wild card. That was Max Himmelrich, thedeependmiami.com. He's on Twitter, at HimmelrichNFL. He's going to be on the show next week to go a little more in depth with our matchup against the Dolphins. Yeah, you guys got to be sure to come check it out. I mean, he's a really knowledgeable guy. We had a lot of fun talking to him. He's not wrong. Given our losses, I mean, we're no longer viewed as a playoff contender. And we've been reduced to simply an obstacle left for these other teams in our conference. It's not hard to believe that if, that other fans around the league, around the league and outside of Buffalo are going to be watching this week's game as its results kind of play a part in the bigger NFL playoff picture. And that's, I can't think of a better way to segue into our Week 15 preview. Bills against the Browns. Now, i got to ask, what can be said about a Bills-Browns game that hasn't already been said about other great events throughout human history? Like the Hindenburg, the Great Depression, maybe even the Holocaust. All right, maybe that's going a little bit far, but... For the better part of the last two decades, I mean, the Bills and the Browns have become synonymous for a handful of things. Coaching changes, quarterback competitions, injuries, losing an embarrassing, 
And sometimes just just fluke situations. Monday night field goals and punt fests. <laughs> Every season it feels like we end up scheduled to play each other. Like, like some kind of bad knock-knock joke that doesn't end. They just keep bringing it back. Knock, knock. Who's there? Oh, I don't know. It's the Bills playing the Browns again. Hopefully, hopefully it's not on primetime. And as logic would suggest, those results have just been, it's just created a highlight reel of not top 10 plays slapped together and declared to be a football game. Let's take a look at some some of the, the illustrious history of Bills versus Browns football. You've got the Thursday night football game in which both starting quarterbacks left the game with knee injuries. Jeff Toole. Jeff Toole had to come into that football game, a game that we ultimately lost. The Trenative Edwards game. Three first quarter interceptions and then ends with three quarters of passes that don't go more than five yards and a Ryan Lindell miss wide right to lose the game. The 0-8 snowball game that propelled the Browns to the playoffs which is the only reason, only reason that they don't have a playoff drought as severe as ours. Or the 6-3 to three loss where Derek Anderson only completed two passes and yet somehow, somehow, the Browns still won the football game. Was that trentative game the Monday night game where Phil Dawson hit one from 50? Yes. God. Uh, just like that, folks. I need another beer. I, Christ. I need another beer. I can't talk about this. I can't talk about this, Silver. I, I need another bucket of beer to talk about the Battle of Lake Erie. The Battle of Lake Erie, folks. Oh. Game time, 1 o'clock. It's a home game. I guarantee you tomorrow at 506sports.com, the map will just say Northeast Ohio and Buffalo. <laughs> I don't even know if I don't even know if local Rochester affiliates would subject the yeah. people of Rochester to this shit. If I don't live in Buffalo or Cleveland, I'd be pissed off that the NFL is subjecting me to that game. I'd be pissed off that that's that's what I get on a Sunday. I'd rather not watch. I feel bad for the people that live in Erie, Pennsylvania, because <laughs> they'll get that game over the Steelers. Over the Steelers. Oh, the early weather report, guys, 32 degrees, 70 percent chance of snow and some moderate winds going to roll in. So this is going to be a repeat of the eight nothing loss in the snow bowl that propelled the Browns to their playoff. Right. Chris, I swear to God, if you bring that up in my presence again, I'm going to bite the neck off this bottle and spit it at you. I'm just saying, 70% chance of snow, that's what I'm expecting. What I'm expecting is that if anything like that ever starts, like if, it, if that game even starts to materialize, that one of two things will happen. Either the ground will just open up and swallow the stadium whole and just end this nonsense once and for all, or that everyone watching it would have the common sense to just go home. Just go home. There's nothing to see here. Whoa. The early betting line has Buffalo as a 10-point favorite coming into this week. I'm wondering. I'm still deciding if I should Seagram's this with oh, you. Oh, Jesus If the Christ. Browns would cover 10. I already owe a Seagram's, and I'm not drinking any more of this sangria bullshit. You're going to have to tonight. <sighs> and then the only injury of note to monitor so far is Kyle Williams. He He's still quite, whatever he did to his back is severe because he's questionable to play this week. And it's only Tuesday. 
No, I mean, I mean, <laughs> the Bills are playing a team this week that is in the bottom half of the league in almost every positive offensive or defensive metric. I mean, it's just incredible to see futility on this kind of a scale. It's been a long time since I've seen it. And since I really started getting analytical about football, it's this has been the worst. I mean, somehow they're not in last place, but the Browns are averaging their 31st place in scoring, 15.9 points a game. They're also 31st in points against, giving up 28.8 points per game. Then they're in 30th place when it comes to overall yards. They've only, as a team, only achieved 4,019 yards. And yet they're 31st in opponent overall yards at 5,160. <laughs> and then they've given the ball back 21 times on offense. Good for 23rd place in the NFL. I mean, that's just futility across the board. Across the board. There is no, most of the time when we try to do these previews, I mean, there's a silver lining somewhere. I mean, but that's how you get to 0-13, right? By being a terrible football team. You're talking about the Browns have five games where they scored 10 points or fewer. Five games of 10 or fewer points. For as much as we bitch about the Bills, at least they haven't done that to us, right? (sighs) For as shitty as Bills fans may feel about where we are sitting right now, at least we all know that we're not in the boat that they are. I mean, I mean, there's talk about them preparing a friggin' parade in the event that the Browns go 0-16. I shit you not, a friggin' parade. Google it. Better yet, listen to radio personality Tony Rizzo from WKNR ESPN 850 in Cleveland give his take on it. If you're one of the people out there that is planning a parade for 0-16, I will fight you. Come down and see me right now. I am at Buffalo Wild Wings. You're going to celebrate my misery for four months? I saw the guy. The guy, one of the guys, came up to me at Dog Pound Drive three weeks ago and goes, Hey, man, we want to come on and talk about it. I said, get away from me. And if you come near me again, I'm going to have Uncle Frank remove you from the president, from the, the, the premises. He goes, it's for the fans. No, it's not. That is the loserest of all loser moves I've ever heard in my life. My God, man, have some pride in yourself. Oh, look, Cleveland's throwing a parade because they lost every game of the season. How stupid is that? Oh. How dumb is that? Who thinks that's a good idea? Tone, I don't know. I, no, who thinks that's a good idea? Some people have you're a, a sense you're of a, humor. I don't want you on my team. I don't want you on my team. I want winners, and I want people that want to win. I don't want people that celebrate losing. I've been waiting to get that take off my ass for about a month. If you're one of them people that are planning this parade, you better stay the hell away from me, my show, and my family, because I will fight you. Ho, 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 ho. You want to talk about hot takes? There's one for you. So at least that's not what WGR 550 sounds like in the middle of the afternoon when we're talking about the way the bill season's going. How about, how about this? How about this? Of the four, I should say five now that sale is, sale is on, of the five Howard Jeremy sale, Mike and Chris, 
Which one of those personalities would you put to say something like that? Sale. He's the only one who I've ever heard actually get his get his. Well, when when Sale gets hot, it's fun. I like listening to that. An angry Sale Capaccio doesn't happen very often because, and this isn't to knock the guy, but he he toes the company line when it comes to reporting on the bills. He's very he's not very often critical, and he tries not to fight the fans because I think he realizes that as a member of the media. You can't fight the internet. You can't fight the world. You know what I mean? But when he gets agitated, it's funny. I would have put it on Bulldog. Nah, see, Chris Parker is too funny for that. Chris Parker, for anyone who listens to WGR 550, Chris Parker, he's had some memorable rants, but most of them I just end up laughing at. Like the one where he's talking about how video review. He said video review is going to be the thing that kills us all. It's going to be the death of us and that we should get the biggest, most dangerous gun and shoot it in the face before it takes us all out. It was one of my favorite rants ever if you want to find it on YouTube. But the fact is, is that this is what's going on. This is the tale of two cities, two cities mired in futility who seem to have to play. each. It's like the NFL makes us play each other as a sick joke. Two cities, (laughs) one lake. Of Lake Erie. <laughs> oh, whoa, God! All right, guys. So as always, we try to we try to preview the upcoming game. Now, I'll admit to you, looking at anything Browns related, much less when trying to put it in terms of them playing the Bills, makes my eyes water like I'm cutting onions. So instead of our usual breakdowns, I'm going to simply touch on the Browns' key players and positions and how it might relate to the Buffalo Bills. I mean, first off, it starts with RG3 on offense. The Browns didn't have answers at quarterback position, right? When the season started, they had no answers. And they haven't had any. You know, I'd say if there's any team in football whose quarterback search has been as futile as the Bills, it's Ben Cleveland. I mean, think about it. They drafted... uh, What was his name? Brady from Notre Dame. Brady... Quinn. Brady Quinn. They drafted Brady Quinn. They've brought in multiple, multiple, multiple free agents. None of them have ever panned out. What about what they did this year? They traded for Jamie Collins. <laughs> that doesn't help the quarterback position, you asshole. I don't care what it helps. It's supposed <laughs> to help their team. So they brought in RG3 as another one, one more of their reclamation projects. He's continued to be a lot of what he was at the end of his career in Washington. Injury-prone and inconsistent with a lot of poor decision-making. I mean, last week, he comes off of, you know, he's missed weeks and weeks and weeks with injury, and he comes back, and everyone says, okay, here comes RG3, the guy that the coaching staff pegged to have give us the best chance to win. Pro Football Focus rated him, gave him a 37.2 rating to finish the game. He completed less than 50% of his passes and threw for 104 and one interception. We bag on Tyrod. If Tyrod put up those kind of numbers, we would have ridden him out of town on a rail. And his interception came on an ill-advised flea flicker attempt from their one-yard line. They called, this is the Browns, they called a flea flicker backed up into their own end zone on their own one-yard line. So RG3 takes his ball. He tries a deep throw to Terrell Pryor, who was triple-covered. Triple covered, and he tries to throw it to him anyway. Results in a turnover and a Cincinnati touchdown. Who else are you going to throw it to? <laughs> just tell know. me now. Gary Barnage. Barnage. 
Andre Risen. <laughs> Fans in the stands. I don't know. <laughs> Somebody. Now, kind of like Tyrod, RG3 is at his best when he can utilize his mobility, roll out, and buy his wide receivers time. But because everyone knows that, no one gives him that opportunity. He, they force him to stand in the pocket and try to be a pocket passer, which is something he just simply can't do. He's not an NFL quarterback when he's forced to play from the pocket. I I expect, I'm not even going to say I hope, I expect that our coaching staff is going to do everything necessary to make sure that his string of rough games and having to throw from the pocket continues on to this weekend. I mean, I think with the talent we have on defense, even as depleted as our safety position might be, I think we have enough talent to put together a game plan to beat RG3. You know what I think might happen now that I've been drinking and thinking? I have a feeling that Robert Griffin will at some point in the game, because he doesn't know the nuances of being an NFL quarterback, is that he won't give up his body and he'll get hurt at some point from <laughs> is that, not sliding. Is that, is that your call? You're Man. calling a Robert Griffin injury? Yeah. <laughs> not the 10-point Browns might cover. I'm going with Robert Griffin gets injured because he doesn't step out of bounds or slide. I'm not going to lie. I think the most impressive quarterback I've seen from the Browns all season was Cody Kessler. I thought you were going to say your collegiate boner. Kevin Hogan. No, Cody Kessler came out on a Monday night football game against the Ravens and actually marched them down the field and made a couple really nice throws to give them the lead. And yet they pulled that kid off the field as quickly as possible. Now, I don't know if that's because they're trying to save him for the future. I don't know what it is. But the fact is with RG3 at quarterback, I'm not scared of this offense whatsoever. I mean, and that that comes right to our next point. Chris asked the question, who's going to catch the ball? Terrell Pryor has been the only bright spot on offense for the Browns this season. That's right, a collegiate quarterback. I mean, if you look at his stats, I mean, he was a fantasy football monster this year. He was one of the most consistent players in the league, because regardless of who was their quarterback, think about who all they played with at the quarterback position. They started with RG3. Then they went to Cody Kessler. McCown. Well, McCown. Then after McCown got hurt, they went to Cody Kessler. When Cody Kessler got hurt, they went to Kevin Hogan. Charlie Whitehurst. When Kevin Hogan got hurt, they went to Cody White. They went to Whitehurst, and then they had to go back to Whitehurst at some point. And now RG. Now they've just cycled back through to whoever got hurt first. RG three. So when he gets hurt, Josh McCown will be the next punching bag up to go try to play quarterback for this team. I don't understand how they've. They, they have more quarterbacks who've started for them than we. Uh, I mean, Chris, I've, I've never seen that for an NFL franchise before. I, what are they, it's got to be at least four or five quarterbacks injured yeah. at some point during the season. And throughout all of that, Terrell Pryor continued to put up consistent statistics. He's a, I mean, I think he finally made that jump from, hey, I'm an athlete who was a quarterback slash wide receiver to I'm actually a wide receiver. His route running looks so polished compared to the last couple seasons. But ultimately, he goes the way the quarterback position goes. I mean, he can make plays in space. He can run decent routes. At the end of the day, if he doesn't have a guy who's getting him the ball accurately and consistently, he can only do so much. He can't throw himself the ball. And like even, even as depleted as our secondary is, I think we have the talent on hand to keep him from being the thing that beats us. 
You know, they're gonna. I think that at the wide receiver position, they're gonna need a giant day from some guy that I've uh, that I don't know of yet. Maybe Andrew Hawkins. Maybe Hawkins gets overlooked when our coaches are game planning, but I doubt it. I think we have the talent across the board on defense to shut down their wide receivers. I would go so far as to say, let's just double team prior with Gilmore and Darby. <laughs> with Gilmore and Darby. <laughs> put Kevon Seymour on uh, Andrew Hawkins and just put our safeties on Barnage and then just let whatever happens, happens. That's hilarious. And then on the offensive line, now despite what you may think, there's real talent on the offensive line for the Browns. I mean, Joe Thomas, future Hall of Famer. I don't give a shit what anyone says. That it, guy is a stud. Did they not draft somebody last year that was a guard and he graded out as like the best rookie and then ended up signing in like Kansas City or Atlanta? And they just saw uh, Joel Batonio. And they just let him they just let him walk. Yeah. He was like a third round pick. Yeah, Batonio, yeah. And he graded out. How bad are you? When I think you- it was a second round pick, and I think it's I think it's if it's the guy I'm thinking of, Batonio was a second round pick, and they took him before we took Cyrus Quanjo. And I don't know, I don't know. The franchise is a mess. Clearly, that's how you end up at zero thirteen. But their offensive line, I mean, they have Jonathan Cooper in that trade with the Patriots that also brought over Jamie Collins. They have a kid named Pastor and a kid named Durango. All of them last week. Now, everyone knows that the Cincinnati's having a down season, but they graded out all positively, graded out against that defensive front. They didn't allow pressure, and they found a way to open up some holes in the running game. I mean, ultimately, the passing game is what screwed them, the lack of any kind of passing game. But the fact that they were able to make hay against that defensive front means that these guys aren't people to sleep on. I mean, Jonathan Cooper has... He was touted as being one of the most uh, one of the most complete guard prospects in NFL history coming into the combine. And then he got drafted by the Cardinals in just injury and then he lost I mean he lost most of his rookie season. He didn't get to play much of second season and then he was hurt. I mean that seems to be the story of the kid's career but I think he's got upside. And they said he's a bulldozer in the running game and in the passing game he's still kind of trying to find his way which is kind of that jump that all collegiate guards have to make into the NFL. I mean, I honestly believe that the offensive line shouldn't be slept on, but again, even if even if Kyle Williams is out, I think that we should have with Darius, with Shaq, with Lorenzo Alexander, and with Jerry Hughes, who hopefully pulls his head out of his ass this week, we have the talent to make plays against their offensive line. On the other side of the ball, defense. Sticking with the defensive line. Fans who are blaming the quarterback situation for all these one-sided losses, the, you got if, the Browns who are looking at all these one-sided losses. They got to look at the defense too. It starts up front. Danny Shelton is a very good defensive lineman. He is. He can dominate at the point of attack. And as far as a nose tackle, interior lineman, however they're going to play him, he's very good at stopping the run and creating pressure. But last week. I mean, outside of him, they don't have any impact players, and that showed up against the Bengals. Jeremy Hill's not the fastest running back. He's not the most elusive guy in the world. And we shut down Cincinnati's running attack. They made a ton of plays, the Bengals did, against the Browns' defensive front simply by running off tackle. They said, okay, you've got one good defensive lineman. We're just going to run away from you. 
<laughs> that's what they did. And it just play after play after play, easily getting blockers to the second level. Because outside of Jamie Collins, they don't have any good linebackers. They don't have a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball. Okay, Their front seven is depleted of a lot of talent that it's had in past years. And they weren't good in past years. So at the end of the day, this is a this is a team that I, I think that our game plan should match their deficiencies well enough that we should be able to, you know to really manhandle them up front. Just given what we know about Richie Incognito, John Miller's play, the fact that Mills has been steady. You know, he hasn't been the greatest, but he's been steady. I think that there's plays to be made against this defensive front. And then finally, in closing cornerbacks secondary for the Browns is kind of like the defensive line I mean they're trying to rely on two guys a banged up Joe Hayden who hasn't been healthy all season and an older than dirt Tremont Williams Tremont Williams's best days were three years ago with the Green Bay Packers he hasn't been relevant since then which is why he's in Cleveland I mean why else would you sign as a free agent with Cleveland Unless no one else picked up the phone and called you. And that means nobody in the CFL, AFL or AFL 2. <laughs> and the fact, the fact is the rest of their secondary is made up of guys that whose names I don't even know. I can't recognize. They traded away their <laughs> the pick that they got from the Bills that they used to take Justin Gilbert. You all remember that? Just cornerback Justin Gilbert? Was he in the Jamie Collins trade? No, no, the Bills. We traded. He, they took oh, him yeah. the year that they had two first round picks. They used the first one to take Justin Gilbert, and the second one to take Johnny Manziel. Yeah, guys, this- why are you mad that we traded that pick to Cleveland? <laughs> you knew they were going to do shit with it, <laughs> and it showed. Justin Gilbert. So Justin Gilbert is now a member of the. Uh, he's a, he's a non starting member of the uh, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. They traded him away. And, I mean, ultimately, their secondary is comprised of guys who I don't know. And I, I see their names, and I'm looking at them right now, and I still don't know who the hell these guys are. So even with the addition of Jamie Collins, who's a great football player, and even having Danny Shelton up front, this defense, I mean, they haven't been able to do much. They can't cover tight ends. I mean, last week, Tyler Eifert produced five catches for 48 yards and two touchdowns. In the red zone, he was unstoppable against his defense. I was reading over at dogsbynature.com, which is they, the SB Nation affiliate of the Cleveland Browns. They're allowed to have one of those. I, I, apparently. I was reading about how this has been a season-long struggle, and apparently they've done everything possible to try to cover tight ends this season. They've tried dual safety looks. They've tried a cornerback and a safety. They've tried linebackers and safeties. They've tried cornerback and linebacker combinations. They cannot cover tight ends in space. They can't do it. And in the red zone, that seems to be, they've allowed, I think, it, I know it was double-digit tight ends, uh, touchdowns to tight ends this season. That's incredible. I mean, it's it, they just get carved up by teams that have athletic pass catchers in the middle of the field. So I'm looking to Charles Clay to say, hey, this is this is a moment where you got to step up. And that brings us to our keys to the game. Now, keys to victory for me. Utilize Charles Clay in the red zone. They've proven it. Everyone over there says it. They can't cover a tight end worth a damn. I expect Charles Clay to have a big day. If I'm Tyrod Taylor, if I can find this out just by researching some bullshit on the internet, I expect that NFL coaches and NFL quarterbacks can find this stuff out and that they're going to go into this game with a plan to use the tight end against them. 
if it is in fact their Achilles heel. Secondly, run the ball with authority. Last week, I mean, I know I talked up the uh, the, the Steelers' front as a poor man's Ravens defense, but Jesus Christ, to get held the negative one yards of offense in the first half, that's bullshit. I want to see these guys come out and dominate, dominate in the running game. I want, I, I, I expect at least one, if not two, rushing touchdowns within the first quarter and a half. If I don't see it, I'll be disappointed. That's the key to winning this football game. You grind them, and you don't give them opportunities. You just wear their defense out to the point where they don't have any will left come the third and fourth quarter to fight you. And then my last key to victory. It's not even really a key. Show up or join Jeff Fisher. This is the type of game, Bills fans, if you lose it, then you probably don't deserve to be a head coach. So that's the key. Come out and make sure that your team understands that this is a game that you cannot lose. You cannot lose this game at home against an 0-13 football team. I'll tell you right now, as much as I've said throughout the entire season, that we should just keep Rex continuity and all of that jazz. If the Bills lose on Sunday, Rex Ryan should be fired on Monday just because you lost to the Browns. I'll tell you this. I'm gonna I'm gonna close this with a story. Almost a month ago, I appeared on Bills on the Bills Fanatics TV show. It airs in Rochester, but they also show it on their website. And you know, I, I was a guest on a panel show that they did, kind of a mid-season, just to see, hey, what do we think about how the season's gone? Where do we think it's going? And there was a lot of different personalities there. I got into a conversation with the. Uh, Radio host, Spencer German out of Rochester, 105.5 The Team. You know, he has his Sports Talk with Spencer show. I had a conversation with him that revolved around how billsy it would be for us to drop this game against the Browns. He called the Bills losing this game. Okay? I told him that if we lost to 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 a team that I didn't know would be winless, but I assumed probably wouldn't win too many games between the midpoint of the season... And this weekend, I told him I would spend the rest of this season like Colonel Kurtz from Apocalypse Now, except instead of cutting heads off, I'm going to be in my basement wearing nothing but a robe with the lights off, drinking Crown Royal out of the bottle and watching Buffalo Bills 1990 highlight tapes and talking to myself. Okay, That's what's going to happen if the Bills find a way to lose this game on Sunday. Don't you do it to me, Buffalo. God damn it, don't you do it to me. Can we step back 15 minutes for a second? Because I know you said Joel Batoni, Nevada. <sighs> Joel Batonio. Nope. 2012, the Browns drafted uh, 37th overall second round Mitchell Schwartz. And he oh, yeah, they graded, let Mitchell Schwartz go because he was the best guard yes, in free agency. He, great, he played all 48 games in his first three years, named to the 2012 All-Rookie Team and lauded for his top-notch pass-block ability and 2014 Pro Football Focus All-Third-Year Team. All I know is that that player was too good to be on that team. His agent knew it, the team knew it, and so they didn't make a play for him because they knew that they would have to grossly overpay him to stay. Don't you do this to me, Buffalo. 
next week. So, boys and girls, that's the podcast for tonight. Um, the, the audio clips from earlier. Max, Max Himmelrich, if you guys want to check it out, like I said, thedeepinmiami.com. He's the, he's the creator and also the lead blogger for the website. I mean, the the guy knows his shit, and I can't wait to have him back on here to pick his brain about the upcoming matchup against the Dolphins. If they if they win the uh, Jets, if they, if they win that game against the Jets, this is a do or die football game for them. So it's going to be interesting to see how we come out and try to counter that. And then, folks, I know we've been plugging this for weeks, but it's that time of year. Festivus is back, and what's a Festivus celebration without the airing of grievances? For those of you who don't know, that's a Seinfeld reference. If you're too young to understand it, well, maybe go educate yourself on YouTube. Or you can watch the entire episode. It's on Crackle. The fact is, is that this is an opportunity for each and every one of you out there to find that one thing that just grinds your gears about the Buffalo Bills in 2016. And then have a beer and laugh and we'll, we listen to Christmas music and we just we, we, we get it off our chests. You know, it's a cleansing moment. It's, it's therapeutic, really. So whatever it is out there that really just chaps your ass about the 2016 Buffalo Bills, be sure to let us know. At Rockpile Report on Twitter, rockpilereport 716 at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash The Rockpile Report. The Rockpile Report on Instagram. <laughs> we're going to take the best submissions, the funniest, the most depressing, the most aggravating, and we're going to read them on the air while we drink a beer and just try to just just try to uh, just get this all off of our chests. <laughs> Guys, yes. from the Rockpile Report, I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. Thanks for joining us tonight. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.